Thank you, Betsy. I knew she could sing. When did she learn to play the piano? Last week? It happened so fast. That's great. Well, I want to talk about love tonight once again, as I did this morning, leading up to Valentine. And uh, it's connection with forgiveness. Matthew 18, 21 through 35 is a parable of an unmerciful servant. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. And then backing up to Matthew 6, there's a great passage about forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer. And those two go together. Matthew 18, 21 through 35, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Peter wants to know, give me a mile marker so I can check it off, and when I get to it, then I don't have to forgive him anymore. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times. Some translations say 77 times, some say 70 times seven But remember, seven for the Jews represents the whole number. So don't take 77 as the cutoff, and at 78, you don't forgive anymore. But just realize that that represents wholeness, completeness. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, and he uses the same words that the first servant used with his master. Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. If we take that literally, it's a pretty harsh saying, isn't it? Serious. Back up to the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, the middle of it, verse 12. Forgive us our debts, some say trespasses, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's interesting at the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, two more verses dealing with forgiveness. Clarifying, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Let's pray.
Father, this teaching on forgiveness is hard. We want to be like you. We want to love. And we want to forgive. But it's difficult when someone has hurt you and you trust them again and they hurt you again and ask for forgiveness and you trust them again and they hurt you again. And over and over the cycle goes. And we wonder, is there a limit to the trusting and forgiving and trusting and forgiving? And in a worldly sense, from an earthly perspective, we can't do it. Until we realize how much you have already forgiven us. And then we can begin to see that forgiveness extended to others. So when we hold a grudge, remind us of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. One of Aesop's fables tells of a snake that made its hole close to the porch of a cottage whereupon the snake bit the owner's son and caused his death. In grief and anger, the father struck at the snake with an axe, but only managed to cut off the snake's tail. This is Aesop's fable. After some time, the father, afraid that the snake would bite him, tried to make peace with the snake, to which the serpent replied, There can be no peace between us, for whenever I see you, I will remember the loss of my tail, and when you see me, you will remember the loss of your son. That's the world's perspective. One man said, it's easier to forgive an enemy after you've gotten even with him. Some folks say, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back twice. That's the wisdom of the world. Get even, get revenge, don't lose face, do them in, live out the truth of Aesop's fable. Hatred, revenge, anger, bitterness, despair, lie ahead for the father and the snake under the porch. What a different world this would be if Jesus had told that fable in Matthew 18 instead of the parable of the unmerciful servant. In fact, I would not hesitate to distill the Christian faith down to one word. And that word is love. And if you really love somebody, you forgive them. Jesus is love and forgiveness in the flesh. Forgiving one another is a human way of loving one another. And to play on a maxim, to err is human, to forgive is Christian. Do you love me? Forgive me. Do you love your husband, your wife? Forgive them. Do you love your son, daughter? Forgive them. Do you love your mother, father? Forgive them. Do you love your church member, the one sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you or across from you, forgive them. Without forgiveness, without the grace of God operating in our midst, then we are just another organization meeting for our social improvement. But forgiveness is at the center of the Christian faith. So let's take a look at it. First of all, let's acknowledge that we all need forgiveness. All of us have sinned. Whoever you are, no matter how good you think you are, I've got news for you. You're a sinner. 
And you and I both stand in need of God's forgiveness. Today I had an opportunity to play some tennis, and, and the guy who was playing with us was an ABAC tennis player. So he was good, and every time one of us made a mistake, we kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We said it a lot. But when you're taking a lesson, when you're trying to improve, bad shots are expected. So there don't have to be any sorries. Just assume that somebody's out there trying to do their best, and they're not going to be perfect. And that's why they're taking lessons. And I think that we can assume in life, not that we aren't sorry, but that even though we try our best, we will never be perfect. We won't even approach it distantly. In the words of Leo Biscaglia, I forgive you for being less than perfect, and I will demand that everybody be perfect the day I become perfect. So you're all safe. I was um, amused. Several of us went to see an Atlanta Braves game several about a year ago. And when you come in on the west side of the stadium, and there's a church, and you won't believe what the name of it is. It's called the Perfect Church. That's the sign. Have you seen it? Right on the west side of the stadium, the Perfect Church. And I looked at some of the people in the car and said, well, we can't join there because we aren't perfect. And uh, I don't know how they received new members. I, I don't guess they have any members. They couldn't have members <laughs> and be the perfect church. So we all need forgiveness. And we all need a forgiving God because we're all in the same boat Without a forgiving God, all we have is a life lived out like the man and the snake under the porch. All we have is revenge and hatred and bitterness ahead of us. Brownlow North was one of the great preachers in his day in the 19th century. And he was speaking at a large church in Aberdeen, Scotland. And it was packed. And just before the service, a note was handed to him by an old friend from his former, less reverent days before he was called into the ministry. And the note said this, I know your history. I followed you to Paris years ago. I know your career of vice there. I have a record of your life at Liverpool. I know how you carried on at Manchester. I challenge you to stand in a Christian pulpit and preach. I dare you. Incidentally, don't hand me a note like that right before a sermon. Maybe afterwards. Anyway, Brownlow North did go into the pulpit that morning and he began his sermon by reading that note in full. And then he said, My dear friends, it's all true. And much more than my companion has written. But I want to tell you, there came a day in my life when I heard the Savior's voice saying, Brownlow North, go in peace. Thy sins are forgiven. And friends, if there's mercy and forgiveness for me, with what I've done, then there's mercy and forgiveness for all of you here today as well. And I want to confess to you, the only way I can stand before you in this pulpit or in the pulpit in the sanctuary or anyway with any integrity is by receiving a full measure of God's forgiveness in my study before I leave there. And if God's grace is sufficient for me, chief of sinners among us, then there's a grace enough for us all offered by a forgiving God. But there's also something that we need to pick up here from this parable. 
This is the hard part. We can only be forgiven this parable and the Lord's Prayer says when we learn how to forgive. And I had a professor who used to say, don't get it wrong here. It's not tit for tat. It's not if you forgive somebody a little, God will forgive you a little. If you do a little of this, he'll give a little of that. That's not what it means. I think what he's saying is only as you cultivate a forgiving spirit in your own heart will you ever believe that anybody can forgive you. If you forgive the wrongs they have done you, your Father in heaven will forgive you. But if you do not forgive the wrongs of others, your heavenly Father will not forgive the wrongs you have done. I'm afraid if we take that passage literally, and I do, there'll be a lot of surprised people at the end of their lives who overlooked it. We have to be willing to forgive others in order to be forgiven by God. Or better, if we can't forgive others, how will we ever be able to believe and accept that God can forgive us? And that's the point of the parable in this scripture. The king forgave his servant 10,000 talents. And now that, that amount, 10,000 talents, is just a figurative amount for the largest number the Greeks could come up with. Equivalent to a billion trillion dollars today. Kind of like our national debt. And then the servant showed his ingratitude by turning around and going right out on the same day and refusing to forgive a 25-cent debt, two bits. It's almost humorous the way Jesus told it. A billion trillion dollars versus two bits. The servant was willing to be forgiven, but not willing to forgive. And Jesus said, then you will not be forgiven. God's forgiveness, God's pardon is conditional upon our response to forgive those who wronged us. Forgive us our trespasses, we pray, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do we really mean that? Do we really want that? Do we want God's forgiveness of others to be measured by, or God's forgiveness of us to be measured by our forgiveness of others? Do we, do we really ask God to mete out His forgiveness to us in like measure? To how we have forgiven others. We are forgiven as we are able to forgive. And if, if we really mean that, then I'm afraid for a lot of people, God's not going to be very busy. And I think that may be largely due to the fact that unless we are able to forgive others, how are we ever going to believe and accept that God can forgive us? And the inability to forgive, harboring resentment and anger and bitterness can eat us up on the inside. Carl Simonton was a cancer specialist in Fort Worth, Texas, and he's done some preliminary research on what he calls the cancer personality. The final verdict of his work is not yet in, but he says some of the factors that are significant in the cancer personality are the tendency to hold resentments. The cancer personality is prone not to be able to forgive. Now, don't turn this around. Listen to me. Don't turn this around and think that everybody who has cancer is a resentful and bitter person. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that if you keep anger and hostility brooding on the inside, nursing it, it will eventually take its toll on you, physically as well as spiritually. Dale Carnegie has written, When We Hate Our Enemies, we really are giving them power over us. Power over our sleep, power over our appetites, 
over our happiness. And they would dance with joy if they knew how much they were causing us worry. Our hatred is not hurting them at all, but it is turning our days and nights into a hellish turmoil. So now there are some who would say, well, I might be willing to forgive, but I can't forget. Forgive, but remember, so they won't have a chance to hurt you again. But that sounds like rationalizing scripture to me. True forgiveness doesn't forgive and still keep score. True forgiveness doesn't remember in order to recall it the next time a mistake is made. When God forgives, he forgets. Jeremiah, he said to Jeremiah, I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin. What? No more. No more. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God removes our transgressions from us. God forgives and he forgets and his memory is a lot better than ours. But when he forgives, he forgets, and the slate is wiped clean. So what are we supposed to do? When we forgive somebody, let it go. Forget as if it never happened. It sounds naive, I know. It sounds like someone might take advantage of us, I know. But that's the way it has to be if we're going to truly forgive. Jesus didn't say it'd be easy. Forgiveness is a way of life with God because our God, we looked at this morning in 1 John 4, our God is a God of love. Love and God are synonymous. And forgiveness has to become a way of life for us. Do you love me? Forgive me. How do you know when God has forgiven you? When you have the ability to turn around and forgive one another because the forgiven, those who understand the nature of forgiveness, have the ability the spiritual ability to turn around and forgive. And instead of a revenge cycle going deeper and deeper and spinning faster and faster, the forgiveness cycle begins and takes its place. William Willimon, as a Methodist minister, was chaplain at Duke University and a good author. And he wrote a story about a bricklayer named George Fisher who had been charged with kidnapping and raping and murdering an eight-year-old girl, a little child named Jean Fuel of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Fisher, when he did that, he was on parole, having served eight years of a 30-year sentence for three arson convictions and five breaking and enterings and larceny convictions. Witnesses identified Fisher as the man they saw near Jean's body when it was found hanging in a tree. Bits of hair and clothing were found in Fisher's car. Willimon attended the funeral and thought of his own seven-year-old daughter. And he said, I tried to hear the muffled sounds of a terrified little girl, the ugliness, but they could not be silent. Afterwards, he, looked, as he said, I looked at the picture of Jean, and then I looked at the picture of Fisher in the newspaper, and I tried to feel compassion for him. I tried. I tried to see him as a brother or just a human being, a fellow human being. But God help me, he said, I could not. I tried to think of the words that I might say if I were his pastor and he were a church member. Nothing would come. I tried to look into his eyes and repeat the words, Father, forgive him. But I could not. 
I am finding that following Jesus is not easy. Not one bit easy. If we take this parable to mean what it says, the forgiven must forgive. It doesn't say it's optional. Accept God's forgiveness. And since freely you have received forgiveness, freely forgive. Forgive one another. Following Jesus, truly following him, was never meant to be easy. And that's why the way is narrow and hard that leads upward to salvation. One reason it's so difficult is because the requirement of forgiveness. Let's bow together. Father, we're not going to try to water down this passage or rationalize it or explain it away and say, well, maybe I will forgive, but I never forget because burned once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. But that's not what this says. It's not 70 times 7, it's not 77 times, it's not 490 times, it's not 490,000 times. When we are reminded of how much you've done for us, we have no choice, no choice, but to freely, willingly, gladly forgive anyone, anything, that they have done against us. If we can't forgive, how can we receive forgiveness? If we can't be forgiving people, there's no room in our hearts for love. And so, Father, clear out all the cobwebs and open us up to receive your love and grace and forgiveness and having received it, to offer it to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.